a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today, we take a look at how real, how authentic is the Old Testament. This is a fascinating question that has ebbed and flowed in terms of how real scholars have thought the Old Testament is for a very, very long time. Today, if you were to ask biblical scholars how much of the Old Testament is real, they would say more of it's real than was believed to be real 50 years ago. But if you went back approximately 100 years, the scholars then thought it was far more real than the scholars do today. For example, in the early and mid-20th century, there was a fabulous leading archaeologist, William F. Albright, and a contemporary, a guy named Ernest Wright. They both believed that the patriarchs in the Old Testament and the matriarchs were real people and that they lived a couple thousand years B.C. Now, by the time you got to the and, and by the way, Albright was born in 1918, and he was a scholar for many, many years. When you get to the 1970s, the arguments about the past of Israel and biblical scholarship shifted. And it was because there were these new, supposedly, scholars who challenged those views. There was quite an influential piece that was published in 1974 by a scholar named Thomas Thompson. He wrote a narrative called The Historicity of the Patriarchal Narratives, and he took the position that there wasn't really much that you could actually find to be real. Now, the fascinating thing about that for me is how presumptuous people are. For example, what if 4,000 years from now, somebody took the position that there were no cars in the 20th century? Because even though there were some documents that mentioned them, nobody had dug one up yet. (laughs) That's kind of the way archaeology is today. They say, well, we, we haven't dug up any camel bones, and so... This thing about Abraham having a camel, that's ridiculous, and we can't believe it. Those are the exact sorts of arguments that you hear being made today. Well, how much one wants to believe in the actual historicity of the Old Testament is up to each individual. If you look, for example, at Brigham Young, he flat out said in a number of his 
talks that much of what we find in Genesis is meant to be allegorical and is not to be taken literally. And as an example, he gave the Eve creation from Adam's rib as an example. He did not think that was real. He thought that was an allegory, and he's probably right. And there's the question of Adam and Eve. Latter-day Saints believe them to be real people. But the thing that brings that into question a bit is that Adam means earth or dirt, and the name Eve literally means mother or mother of those who live. And so, which is kind of redundant, but the, the point is that the names of the first parents are seemingly something that indicates a genre or a beginning or a story or an allegory. Maybe so, maybe not. Today, I'm going to bring something else into the equation to help people who may struggle with the historicity, the accuracy of the Old Testament, because according to my last count, and if one wants to go check this, uh, take a look at Biblical Archaeological Review. There's a great article in the March-April magazine from April of 2014 and a follow-up in the May-June publication of 2017 that has this information in it. And you know what? I'll go one further. If anyone wants the information that I'm going to provide today, send me an email and I'll get you the information. This is one that I have uh, printed up and ready to to go. Many of the programs that I do, I just don't, I, I speak from information that I have and sources that I have, but I don't type everything up word for word. So when people ask for a transcript of a show, I don't have a transcript, but I do have sources. So what am I going to talk about today? Biblical people confirmed in authentic inscriptions and archaeological sources outside of the Bible. There are now 53 of those of which I am aware. That's a pretty huge number, and I'm just talking about the Old Testament. There are even more for the New Testament. So let's jump right in before we run out of time. Let's start with the Hebrew kings. According to the Bible, David ruled in the 10th century before Christ using traditional chronology. Until 1993, however, the name of David had never appeared anywhere in the archaeological record, let alone a reference to King David. That led all these skeptics that I mentioned a few minutes ago to say David was not a real person. He was a myth. But in 1993, there was a now famous inscription called the Tel Dan inscription, and it was found in, in an excavation led by Avraham Baran. And actually, it was a guy in his team, a surveyor named Gila Cook, who knows the inscription on a basalt stone. But the point is that this was a reference to King David. It was written in the ninth century before Christ Aramaic, and it was part of a victory stilla. It was commissioned by a non-Israelite king mentioning his victory over the king of Israel and the house of David. So whether you think the king's puffing, in other words, overstating whether he beat King David 
whether he overthrew him or not, the reference to the house of David and the king of Israel show that people knew there was a King David in that time. So King David in the Bible has been confirmed now in outside sources. Here's another one of special interest to Latter-day Saints, King Hezekiah, the king of Judah. According to the Bible, this 8th century before Christ king did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestor David had done, as we read in Kings, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 2. And among other things, he's credited today with building the tunnel that's still named after his name, Hezekiah's Tunnel, that supplies water to Jerusalem. This was not known to be true or not, but we now have an outside reference to him, one outside the Bible, like David, Hezekiah is mentioned not in a royal inscription of his own, but written by an enemy. This is fascinating. Hezekiah is recorded in a cuneiform inscription known as the Sharonapcheb prism. Sharonapcheb says that Hezekiah was in Jerusalem and he had shut him down like a birdcage. He doesn't claim to have conquered Jerusalem, but he claims to have, in essence, laid siege to him. That's pretty fascinating. So we should note that the Bible and this cuneiform tablet both describe this guy, Sharonap Cherub. And so it's mentioned in the Bible and an outside source that confirms another actual name, another actual person written in the Bible. Here's some others. Uh, I'll mention four really quickly before we go to our break. In addition to David and Hezekiah, there are four other kings of Judah, Uzziah, Ahaz, Manasseh, and Jehoiakim that have now been confirmed archaeologically. When we come back, more about how 53 people mentioned in the Old Testament have been confirmed to be actual people. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Our subject is 53 individuals mentioned in the Bible that are now confirmed to be, well, in the Old Testament that are now confirmed to be real, genuine people from extra-biblical sources, meaning archaeology, cuneiform writings, other places. We'll see in a minute or two here that there are some seals that have the names of some of these individuals as well as some carvings, some descriptions. If you would like a list of these 53 individuals who are mentioned in the Bible who have been proven to exist outside the Bible from other sources outside of the Bible, feel free to send me an email. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to get you the list. When we took our break, I mentioned that there were four kings, Uzziah, Ahaz, Manasseh, and Jehoiakim that have been confirmed archaeologically outside of the Bible. Other kings of Israel who've been 
confirmed outside of the Bible would include Ahab, who angrily called the prophet Elijah a troublemaker in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. Other kings of Israel who have been confirmed archaeologically are Omri, Jehu, Joash, Menahem, Pekah, and Hosea. All of these kings have been found. As the kings of Israel and Judah have been confirmed archaeologically, so have foreign monarchs. I mentioned a minute ago about Shirinachib. He is not the only Assyrian king that's confirmed outside of the Bible that's mentioned in the Bible. We also have inscriptions referring to Tiglath-Pilser III, Shamanazer V, Sargon II, and Esherhaddon, all of whom are mentioned in the Bible. Now, here's a fascinating one. This is, of course, not a big surprise to anybody, but both the Bible and archaeology record Babylon monarchs from a time after the Babylonian kingdom eclipsed the Assyrians and were more important. Probably the best known is Nebuchadnezzar. He is actually Nebuchadnezzar II, and he's the one who was around during the time of the prophet Lehi mentioned the Book of Mormon. He was the one that destroyed Solomon's temple in 586 B.C. and exiled the Jews all over the place to northern Africa, to Alexandria, Egypt, to Babylon, to other places. The point here is that other Babylonian monarchs also mentioned outside the Bible and mentioned in connection with Nebuchadnezzar have now also been found. There is one, Merodach, Baladan II, Belshazzar, who's mentioned in the book of Daniel. Remember that it was Belshazzar who challenged his wise men to read the mysterious writings on the wall. When they couldn't, the king called on Daniel. Daniel predicted the king's demise, and the king dies that night, according to Daniel chapter 5. Quite a fascinating story there. The Babylonian Empire gave way in the 6th century BC to the Persians. They weren't really nice guys either. But Cyrus the Great, who was king of Persia, did issue kind of a famous declaration that allows the Jews to return to Jerusalem from their exile. Of course, Cyrus is mentioned in the Old Testament, and he was, of course, a real person. One of the most fascinating of kings outside of Jerusalem and outside of the Jews, I mentioned Cyrus the Great. There are four other well-known Persian monarchs that are mentioned in the Bible that have been confirmed archaeologically. Darius I, Xerxes, Artaxerxes I, and Darius II. These are important individuals because they confirm stories that we read in the Old Testament and also in the uh, Apocryphers. Xerxes is prominent in the book of Esther, where he is called Ahasuerus, 
that's Xerxes. It's just a different pronunciation. One comes from Greek, one comes from Hebrew, but they stem from the original Persian name. Some of the newer English translations of the Bible actually use Xerxes instead of Ahasuerus. In the book of Esther, Xerxes' Jewish queen Esther confronts the king unbidden in order to save her people from this evil guy, Haman. And then she, of course, famously says, if I perish, I perish. You can read about that in Esther chapter 4, verse 16. She, of course, is successful. The Jews are saved, and Haman is hanged on the gallows. The point is, for purposes of the show today, that the characters in the book of Esther, the king, and others are found to be genuine people from history. Going back to an earlier period, scholars who doubt the history of the Exodus often point to the fact that the Pharaoh of the Exodus is really not identified in the Bible. And that's true. But a Pharaoh during Solomon's reign is identified. He is Sheshung one, who's called Shishak in the Bible. He cut a swath through Judah, ultimately attacking Jerusalem, according to the Bible. Accounts of his campaign survive in many hieroglyphics. Other pharaohs mentioned in the Bible and in hieroglyphic inscriptions include Asorkin IV, whose name was abbreviated in some sources to So, Necho II, Hophra, whose name is also written in some places as Epris, one of the Cushite kings, the rulers of Egypt and Cush, was a man named Tarak, called Tirhakah in the Bible. Again, just the difference in pronunciation in Hebrew and Greek as they come to us. One of the kings of Moab has become famous not because he's mentioned by name in the Bible— which he is, but only once, but really because of the episode recounted from the Israelite point of view in the Bible is also recorded as the Moabite saw it. So this is kind of fascinating. You got the biblical rendition of an account and now another account of the same events in a famous stela called the Mesha stela. The Bible records how Israel's king Omri conquered Moab. But if you read the Meshastili, a three-foot-high black basalt stone that has about 34 lines of writing on it, it talks about how the Moabite king Mesha liberated Moab from the Israelites. So, kind of two different points of view about the same accounts. This Mesha stone is now featured on display in the Louvre. I saw it some years ago. It's quite a fascinating thing. Sometimes we have the name of a king's son, somebody who never became king himself, a Dramalek, the son of Sirnachab, who slew his father, according to 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 37, and then fled, has now been found. His brother, Esar Hayden, became king. We also know about them from cuneiform 
inscriptions. So I didn't quite get them all in, but we got most of them in. We're out of time. This shows, this latest research and its ongoing research shows that more and more, and now we have at least 53 known names from the Bible, have been confirmed to be real people from extra-biblical sources in the Old Testament alone. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.